Please turn to 1 John chapter 3 this morning. 1 John chapter 3. Young people, you are dismissed. Pray for them, pray for their teachers as they go. 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We had a lot, not on our buses this morning, a lot of flu going around, so several families canceled. And be in prayer for one another. We have others that are not feeling well. And Austin just got over the flu, Austin Judge, and so I decided, let's have him sing 20 songs, all right? So, (laughs) praise the Lord, but he did a great job, didn't he? Man, that song, My Sin, has been nailed to the cross, my Savior. What a great, great reminder for us today. 1 John chapter 3. Well, I want to thank you folks for praying for us as we went to uh, North Carolina last weekend, got home late Wednesday night, and we had a great time at the New Mana Baptist Church there. The pastor there is Pastor Tony Shirley that was with us for our anniversary services in, the, uh, in the November there, and uh, just, had, just had a great time. And on Tuesday night especially, their youth choir sang, and their youth choir is, is supposed to be their teen group. They have six-year-olds in there. They don't care. They just come on up and sing with the youth choir. And they, one little girl says, I don't travel with them, but I, I sing when I'm at home. And, and so they, they got up, and they were supposed to sing two songs, and they ended up singing a third. And, and uh, 60, 70 teenagers, and let me tell you, did they, God ever use them? The Spirit of God began to move, and uh, kids coming out of the choir loft, going down the altar while they're supposed to be singing. And uh, just their hearts broken and touched by by what God was doing in their lives this week, and praise the Lord for it. And a couple, two or three, I could give you some testimonies, some young, some young people, but one in particular, a young man that uh, came to me on Tuesday night, and uh, after the service he wanted to talk a little bit, and uh, he was obviously stirred up in his heart. And uh, he said, Brother Ferry, he says, uh, he says, do you have Cash App? I don't even know what that is. I said, I'm, I'm really not even sure what that is. It might be an American thing. I, I don't know if we have that in Canada. I don't know. I said, uh, what's it about? And he goes, well, he says, the Lord told me to give you a gift. And I said, oh, brother. And I, I don't like that kind of thing. I, I, know, I understand the Lord told him to do something. And I just, uh, you know how it makes you feel, kind of. So I just kind of shied away. And I said, I, t- I tell you what. I said, why don't you go be a blessing to one of the missionaries on my behalf? If you, if you feel like you want to give me something, why don't you do it for one of the missionaries? They're trying to get to the field. And maybe, maybe you can be a blessing. And somebody interrupted us. And he said, he said, no, the Lord told me to do it for you. And he says, I'll figure out a way. And uh, somebody interrupted us, and other people were talking, and so uh, he slipped away quietly. The next morning, his dad took us to the airport, and his dad said, Brother Fury, he says, my son wanted me to give you this check. And he says, I can't make any sense of it. He says, now, he says, I'm thrilled that the Lord is working in my son's heart. He says, and if the Lord told him to do this, he says, you make sure you cash it. He says, do not. Do not rob him of a blessing. He says, the Lord told him to do it. He said, but I just can't make sense of the number. He said, did, did you have a specific need or something? And, and I, he says, it's a strange number. And I said, I, I can't think of anything. And I didn't tell him anything. I, I, matter of fact, I tried to discourage it. I said, I, I told him, maybe go help a missionary. He says, he handed me the check. It was $390.46. His dad said, I think he cleaned out his bank account. 18-year-old boy. It breaks my heart to, to think that, <laughs> that, that God moved in his, like, just to take that. I don't want to take that. I get that. But God told him to do something. And I preached one night about being the sacrifice. The Levites were the offering to God. And he said to me that night, Tuesday night, and I didn't connect the dots until the next day. He says, Brother Fear, I've decided to be that offering to give my all. 
And on the, after having that check in my wallet for a few hours, I went, I think that's what he's doing. He gave his all. Man, would to God that he move in our hearts like that. Do something in our midst like that. They just say, I'm not saying clean out your bank account. Listen, you know I don't like preaching on money. I'm not talking about that. But what about just giving ourselves to the Lord? 100%. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice. Here's the great thing. We get to be sacrifices, and we don't even have to die. The Old Testament, they all, they all died on that altar. We're living sacrifices unto God. We're able to give ourselves to him like the Levites did in the Old Testament. By the way, we are the Levites, spiritually speaking, in the New Testament. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. That's, that's the requirement. That's the translation from old to new. The old is a picture of the new. We are set aside for God's service as a royal priesthood. And praise the Lord, as part of that priesthood, we get to go boldly to the throne of grace. We get to go right to where God is and commune with him. And it just moved my heart. It was such a blessing to be in the church. And I would encourage you. I, I said, uh, I've heard some folks in our church a couple times say, we need to go down to that youth conference. And I said to Brother Shirley, I'm all behind it now. I said, if, if this is how your young people are, are going for God, I'd love to see our young people come down. And uh, so, listen, I, I know it's a distance and I know it'd be a cost. But if you, if you have an opportunity, if our youth workers say we're going to go down to this youth conference, it's a, it's a one-day drive, 13-hour drive. It'd be well worth the investment in your young people to get them to things like that. And uh, there's other conferences around. We've had some go out to, all the way to California for youth conference and things. And so it's a good investment. Never, never think about it as a cost. Well, this cost, no, no, you invested. There's a difference, right? Investments pay off. Something that costs, we, we throw... Uh, think about this. You, you send a kid down to a youth conference like that. How much do you spend at Tim Hortons in a year? Right? I don't even want to think about it, to be honest with you. And, and just McDonald's and, and things like that, eating out, whatever. And so this is an investment. And uh, I think it would be wise if we could do something. So I'm 100% behind if, if our folks want to go down to that youth conference. It would be a good, good thing for our young people. Anyway, First John chapter 3 this morning. My heart's been moved by the worship this morning. Thank you for singing unto the Lord. And uh, so good to know that we have a hope. The world doesn't have a lot of hope. And uh, you live, you die, you go to the grave, and that's the end. I'm thankful that we have a living hope in Christ Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and one day he's coming for us. Amen? That we can forever be with the Lord, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 John chapter I'm sorry, I'm in, the wrong, I'm in John chapter 3. I should be in 1 John, same author, different book. 1 John chapter 3. I just want to share a couple thoughts with you this morning, but listen to this. This is what we've been doing this morning. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would have the hope of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some that don't. Maybe there's some here that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are so many today that will 
preach and teach that if you just simply be a part of their church, you're part of the faith. There's some that would preach and teach if you just live a good life and follow the principles of Jesus and live like Jesus lived, you, you can go to heaven when you die. There are many that would teach that if you're baptized or do some other religious ritual that we could find our way into heaven. But the Bible is very plain that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. But salvation is the gift of God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand that it's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. It comes by grace. For by grace are we saved through faith. And each one of us must put our personal faith in Jesus Christ and start that relationship with him that comes through the blood of Christ to wash away our sins that we might stand forgiven and be reconciled to God. Lord, I pray that we would not complicate that message. I pray, Lord, to be just so simple. As an old preacher said, that we'd put it on the bottom shelf where they keep the cookies just so that we can easily reach it and grasp it. Help us, Lord, I pray. May the Spirit of God move and speak to our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That phrase, the sons of God, always jumps out at me. I love that phrase. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Often if I open a service in prayer, if I, I pray, I, I'll often give thanks for Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be the sons of God. Because I understand what it means that in order for us to be the sons of God, we had to be reconciled to God. We had to become joint heirs with Christ, and that means through the, the crucifixion, that means through the, the very blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, that means I had to be forgiven and cleansed and pardoned of my sin in order to enter into the family of God. So I don't take it lightly. But the scripture is imploring us this morning to behold. Behold. The word behold doesn't mean simply to look at. We look at a lot of things, don't we? We can see billboards as we're going down the street and we can, we can go to a different place and look. But often, often the word look or behold, it means something more. It means to, to, to gather in, to assess carefully, to take the measure of something. Perhaps you would go shopping and you would not just look at something, you might behold it. In other words, you would grasp it and, and compare it to other things and, and make sure it is exactly meeting the specifications of what you want. And that's what the word behold means. It's, it's a deeper look. It's having a greater understanding. The word behold is always, always in the Bible used in a positive sense. It means to see the glory of something or to see the beauty of something. The Lord Jesus Christ will use it again in the book of Revelation. He says, behold, I make all things new. What a wonderful promise of scripture. As the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the new Jerusalem come down from heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ, I can just picture the scene as everybody's eyes are fixed on that great holy city descending the new Jerusalem. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, 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 no. Behold, <laughs> it's not about the city. I'm the one that makes all things new. Turn your attention back here. Behold. But notice what he says. To behold the love of God. He says, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. To behold the love of God is more than just sitting back and taking in his love and affection for us. 
Sometimes we just want to bask in his love. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To enjoy his fellowship and to, to, to understand his affection. It is more than simply counting your blessings or understanding that you are in a position of security. As a matter of fact, the scripture does not command us to behold his love. It commands us to behold what manner of love. What kind of love is this? What lengths did God go to to extend his love to us? We're not just to sit back and, you know, for a new believer, they might just be so thankful. I, I've heard one verse of scripture. I know John three sixteen for God so loved the world and that God loves me and whosoever will may come and I, and I just know that God loves me. And we sing, I am so glad that our Father in heaven, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. And we bask in that love. But listen, as a child of God, we need to come to a deeper understanding. It's not just that he loves us, it's how does he love us. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We are to look at the prophets and hear of his love described We are to look to the Gospels and hear his love declared. We are to look to his agony in the garden and abuse at the hands of his accusers and the cross of Calvary and see his love displayed. We are to behold. I wanted to share a few things with you this morning. That as we behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, these are some things that will help us put it in perspective. I want you to notice, first of all, the desire of his love. The desire of his love. Turn back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning. We all know this passage of scripture, don't we? John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, a woman's water will break when she gives birth, and of the Spirit. A spiritual birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Let's just pause for a moment. We're not where I want to be just yet, but I want you to remember, we don't like to be told what to do sometimes, do we? We don't like to be bossed around. But Jesus said, ye must be born again. That's it. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This is not about going to church. That doesn't cause you to be born again. Being baptized does not cause you to be born again. Doing good works. In the name of Jesus, does not cause you to be born again. A man is born not just of the water, but also of the spirit. It is a spiritual birth, a rebirth, if you will. And notice as it continues in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? He was confounding the wise. He says, Aren't aren't you a religious one? Aren't you a Pharisee? Don't you know? 
You're a ruler of the Jews. But he did not know. Jesus answered, said to him, or verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The very desire of his love is you. For God so loved the world. That's all inclusive. That's every man, woman, and child who ever lived. God loved the sinner, and he died for him. Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ by night, but I have no, no, no doubt in my mind for even one second that God had an appointment with him. The Lord Jesus Christ waited for his arrival and knew that he was coming and, and hit him from left field with this, ye must be born again. Nicodemus had very different questions. He wanted to know if he was really sent from God. And we know that no man can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus turned to him and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This confused Nicodemus, of course. But all of it, was a journey to this one singular message. The desire of God's love is you. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. The word sent, when we think about just, we're not here to assess just God's love. We want to assess the manner of his love. And the idea that he sent his only begotten son, the son that that, that he loved and desired. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was baptized, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God loved his son, and yet was willing to let him die on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and mine. It's never been a question, does God love me? You say, well, I'm here today, and I, I gotta tell you, preacher, you don't know the things I've done Perhaps I've been invited by a friend or maybe this is just my first time in church in a long time and I've messed up a lot and I've done a lot of bad things in my life and God couldn't possibly love me for God so loved the world. Do you know the world was a wicked place? It was a wicked place when Jesus came. They'd already experienced the great flood of Noah's day when the wickedness of man came up into the nostrils of God and the stench caused him to destroy all of his creation. It was no better in the days of Christ. Religion had become a big business. Jesus had cast them out of the temple and turned over the money changers' tables. The Pharisees were running the people into the ground. He says, you put burdens upon people that you wouldn't even lift with one of your little fingers. They made it into a business. But Christ simply said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come through anything else. Don't worry about your religion. Don't worry about your, uh, uh, your creeds and your covenants and your works. Trust only in me. That's why God sent his son. Because you are the very desire of his love. I want you to see secondly this morning. 
We see the desire of his love, but I want you to see the depths of his love. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Hmm, I like this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God, listen, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh no, you say... Christ may have come for the guy down there, the one that's dressed up in a suit and a tie, and that, that lady that sang in the choir this morning. Maybe Christ came for her. No, no, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man will man some would even dare to die. And here's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the very depths of his love. Say, so how far does it reach? I had, I had another song picked out, Brother Judge, and we forgot this. I don't know why I didn't do it. <laughs> Brother Cameron, it's your favorite song, The Love of God. Is he Brother Cameron here? The Love of God. It reaches to the lowest hell. I know that's just a songwriter's version. But when I read Romans 5.8, I think about the lowest hell. God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is greater far than human tongue or pen could tell. Can you imagine how far? You, you say, well, I, I mean, are, are you, listen, think of where Jesus came from just to this earth. Think about how far he came, how much he condescended himself, how much he laid aside I can't imagine. This last week, we, the church wanted to do something for my wife and I, and so they sent us on a date on Tuesday. They sent us to the Biltmore House. Anybody ever heard of the Biltmore House? It is the largest single-family home in North America. It is 179,000 square feet. Oh, all right? The dining room, I don't know if anybody in this church has a house that would not fit inside their dining room. I mean, incredible. The, the one end of their dining room is as wide as our platform with three fireplaces that reach as high as that cross. And it's just fire. The dining room table is in the middle. I don't know, you'd have to stand to eat at it. The chairs are about two feet below the table level. This big table. And it's about 40 feet long. But you could drive a car, a bus, around that table. It's just, it's just an incredible place. The Vanderbilts. Family built it. It's called the Biltmore. We went to that place, and they said that George Vanderbilt, he was the third in, in line. Uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt was the shipping fella. He, built, he took a $100 loan and bought a little boat, and he started building a shipping empire, and then he built train lines. So he, he'd bring loads of goods to New York Harbor, and then he'd put them on a train, and he'd ship them all across America, and he made billions of dollars. I mean, they, they said if they took his money today and compared it to what people have in today's, he'd been the richest man in the world today, still today. Incredible. 
And so this was his grandson. His grandson inherited everything. He never did a day of work in his life. He traded in art. And so he built this place three miles into the woods on a mountaintop in North Carolina. I don't know how they ever found the place. Incredible. There's, there's about 300,000 acres of property. It's amazing. But he decided that that would just be his summer cottage. And that he would go there and live as a country gentleman and just tend to his gardens. That place, as decadent as it was, doesn't even come close to where Jesus stepped down from. And took upon the filth of this world. And walked among us. And yet, the Bible says he came to save sinners. He didn't just come to walk along the noble and the elite. He didn't just come to walk among the righteous. He says, no, it's the sick that need a physician. And God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. On the worst day of your life, that's the moment Christ died for you. That's the depths of his love. Friends, if you don't know him today, he wants to be your savior. Again, I will say again, it has never been a question of whether or not God loves us. The question is, do we love him? Do we love him? I'm going to pause for a moment. I want to make the gospel very clear. I'm going to be honest, this was not intended necessarily to be a gospel message. I was wanting to follow the command, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And and I want to give you a thought right at the end, our last point. But before I do, let me be sure the gospel is very clear. You understand very plainly that we are all sinners. The one standing in the pulpit today is a sinner. And because of our sin, we were condemned to hell. Separation eternally from God in a place of torment. That was never the plan. That place was designed for the devil and his angels. But because we rejected Christ, because of our sin, we will pay a price. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God, a spiritual death. We know that there's two births in the Bible. There's also two deaths. There's a physical birth, born of water, and born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth. Being born again, a rebirth. But there's also two deaths. There's a physical death that every one of us will experience if the Lord tarries his coming. A physical death that will take this body and it will lay in the ground somewhere. But your spirit will live forever, either in heaven, in eternal life, or a place called hell, in eternal death or separation from God. The wages of sin is death, but, listen, the gift of God. That's the greatest but in all the Bible, I think. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Why through Jesus? Because nobody else paid the price for your sins. Nobody else was willing to take upon himself your sins and be nailed to a cross and shed his blood. Nobody else was worthy, by the way. There was none other that was without sin. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. You see, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice lambs on the Day of Atonement. 
It was a time of a picture of the covering of their sin. That lamb would, would be the substitute. But it had to be spotless. It had to be inspected by a priest. It had to be perfect. Jesus Christ was that spotless lamb without sin. And he died in our place. The Bible says that Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. You must come through Jesus Christ. So how do I do that? It's simply a call. Some people say, well, you don't have to pray to get saved, but I think prayer is important. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Any other time in the Bible we see the word call, it's, it's talking about prayer. Call on me and I will show thee great and wondrous things. Call upon the name of the Lord. Put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done. When he said it is finished, he didn't mean his life was over. He meant the work that God had sent him to do was now complete. Salvation had been provided full and free for those who would trust in Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. The Bible says it is given unto men once to die and after this the judgment. Every one of us will stand before God. And every one of us will have to give an answer. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who paid the price for your sins on your behalf, you will answer for your sin. And the verdict will always be guilty. But if you'll stand with there as Jesus Christ is your advocate, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven of your sins, you may enter in because your name will be found in the book of life. Do you know him today? That's his love. His love was sent to be displayed. We are the very desire of his love. And he has shown us the very depths of his love on the cross of Calvary. But I want to give you one more thing today. You know what? Let's, let's do this. Let's stop for a moment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I have one more thought to share with the congregation today. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. heart is broken to think that there's people that could come week after week and hear the gospel message over and over and never trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, not, not fully, hoping that by coming that, that faith will rub off, that it'll give some virtue before God. The Bible says all of our righteousness is but filthy rags. We must have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. So for the next five minutes while I finish this last thought, would you hold on to those hearts? Would you not let them go? Let, not let them be distracted. Lord, even now, right where they are, they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, don't let this moment pass without speaking to them. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you one more thought. Turn to John chapter 21. I'm, I'm going to move through this one very quickly. This was supposed to be the thrust of the message, but I'm going to run right to the invitation. John chapter 21. The third thing is the design of his love. What is the purpose? 
If you are a child of God today, there's a reason that God has expressed his love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, just one few verses after what we've been reading this morning, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. I've said twice already, it's not about whether or not God loves us. It's about how much do we love him. And we only love him because he first loved us. In John chapter 21, we'll see in verse 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's died on a Roman cross. He's been buried for three days, and he rose again. And now at different times, he's appearing to his disciples. He already met them in the upper room. And another time when Thomas was there, he said to Thomas, Put your, your, your hands in my nail prints and in my side. I don't think Thomas ever did it. The moment he saw him, he said, my Lord and my God. And fell at his feet and worshipped. This is another time that he would appear to them. They were out fishing again. They had forgotten their call. And the Lord was on the seashore and he prepared some fish upon the coals. And he yells out, come and dine. And nobody would ask, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, me, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou, uh, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. The Lord had the same question for Peter I have for you today. Do you love me? Do you love the Lord? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Come on. No, no, Peter, look. Do you love me? Yay, hey, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, listen. No, come on. Quit stuffing your face with fish and bread. Look up here. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And Peter, one day men are going to carry you where you would not go. You're going to die. But follow me. I think this passage proves there is just no limit to what can be done for Christ if we will commit our love to him. Sometimes we get angry about all the things that have to be done in order to follow the Lord. Just simply love him, and it won't seem like a burden at all. Love him. What is the design of his love that we would take it to the world? 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read of a church, the churches of Macedonia, who had, the Bible says this in verse 5, they gave their own selves to the Lord. Paul says, I wasn't expecting the kind of offering they gave me. As a matter of fact, I, I, I told them not to give so much, and they pleaded with me with much entreaty that I would take the gift. He says, this is not what I had hoped for, but they gave their own selves first. And then he turns to the church at Corinth and he says this. He says, now it's your turn to prove the sincerity of your love. You see, we express our love, but how do we display our love? I, I know, I know how to get my wife. If I drive into the driveway and there's chocolate in my car. Her radar goes off. She knows. I think she slipped out to helping the kids. So praise the Lord, I won't get in trouble. But she'd probably tell you it's true. Chocolate. I could tell her I love her all the time, but if I don't display it somehow, if I don't show it somehow, if I, if I, I don't do things. Man, you know what I did this morning? I did the dishes. She got busy last night. And we, I didn't know the dishes got, and just didn't get a chance to get to them. So this morning I, I was up early and I got my, my message ready and so I went in and I did all the dishes. Let me tell you what, that made her day. Making you look bad, aren't I, Kevin? Kevin bought his wife a dishwasher. He's off the hook. <laughs> Somebody said to us, and listen, I'm not trying to, bra- I'm not, I'm not. Supper time, my wife and I cook about 50-50. Do you like cooking? Not really. Do I like showing love to my wife? Yeah, I do. I know that when she's worked all day too, it doesn't look good if I'm just sitting in the lazy boy. And so I'll cook dinner half the time. It's nothing special. Sometimes it's craft dinner and baked beans. (laughs) But whatever but we need to display our love. We can say we love the Lord all we want, but how are we showing it? Behold what manner of love he has for you. What, what if there was a verse in the Bible? I, I, I don't want to make something up, but what if, what if we got to heaven and the Lord says, what manner of love did you show me? You said you loved me a lot. You said, yea, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and have we not... Yet I never knew you. What manner of love the Father has. It's incredible to think about. Just stop and behold. But what about us? What are we displaying towards him? Let's bow this morning. Our heads bowed. I don't want to get too far off into the weeds here. I want to make sure. Maybe there's somebody that has been considering. I I prayed and I asked the Lord, don't let you go. I don't care if you heard that last point at all. If you don't know the Lord, I want you to just be focusing on that, what Christ has done for you. That that was for people that already know the Lord, that last point. What about you? Do you know Christ? If you were to die today, are you absolutely sure you have a home reserved in heaven? You know where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? You know how that passage starts? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself.
that where I am, there you may be also. He was speaking to his disciples. Those who had trusted him were following him. Maybe you've not done that yet. You talk about God and you talk about church and religious or spiritual things. Maybe even read your Bible. But let me ask you, has there ever been a time where you have put your personal faith in Jesus Christ, believed on him, called upon his name to save you? It gets lost in so many churches today. It's all about the programs and living good lives. And we ought to live holy lives, don't get me wrong. But as a means to an end to get us to heaven. Let me ask you this. If there was any other way to go to heaven, save through the cross of Calvary and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, would God have let his son die? Absolutely not. When Jesus prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, God in heaven must have been saying, if there was some other way to do it, I would have. If there was a way to redeem mankind without holding on to my justice and making sure I kept my word about the wages of sin being death, and... but I have to punish sin. It would make no sense whatsoever if you could work your way to heaven and God still let his son die. If you could go to church and sing songs of praise and worship God, and that would get you to heaven. It'd make no sense that God let his son die. But we must all come through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the way. There is no other. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And if God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? And if there's one, say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity, heaven or hell, I just don't know. Could we help you? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Nobody's going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. But we want to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. Would you come right now? Meet me down here at the front. We'll have a man with a man, a lady with a lady. Maybe there's some Christians that will come and take some time to pray for the lost. Maybe you'll consider, in the light of what God has done for me, how am I expressing my love to him? How is it displayed in my life?